Well, uh, I'm excited about this passage. We've had some really challenging passages in 1 Peter, and this is one of those ones that's a little bit easier to walk through. And I know that uh, I'm sure pastors through the centuries have gotten to this passage and like, finally, all right, a passage that will be a little bit easier to walk through this morning, but challenging nonetheless. So to begin, uh, one thing that came to my mind as I was walking through this is an illustration by uh, Francis Chan. Maybe you're familiar with him. He um, has several books and as a pastor and um, often um, has some, does things, speaking on different things. He has this wonderful illustration that he did uh, 10 plus years ago, but it's just this great illustration where he came up on stage and he had this long rope that he had that he had in his hand, but it went all the way out the stage. And at the tip of the rope, was just a little bit that was had colored tape on the very end of the rope. And, and since I'm red, green colorblind, I can't tell you what color. I don't know what color it was. It's either red or green, probably. And he went at the end of the rope, and he talked about how the rope was a picture of, of our, not just our life, but, but our eternal existence. And he talked about that, that little nub at the end represented the brevity of life here on Earth. That our life is a vapor, it's short. But a lot of times we put all of our effort into that little nub on the end to make it as comfortable or as happy that maybe we can save up enough so that little bit of that end of that nub of our life will be comfortable. But then he said, but look, eternity is ahead of us and we need to live in light of eternity and we need to make decisions now that impact that of eternity. And the scriptures tell us the reality of these things. And even in First Peter, even last week, we, we saw this truth, and it spoke of this living in light of a just judgment to come by a just God. And we're reminded at the same time, too, the realities of the gospel throughout First Peter, that we have a God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to live and to fulfill all that we could not do, to live the perfect life that we could not, that he might be able to die in our place and rise again victorious. And we're called here again in First Peter to live with the end in view. He says in verse 7, it says, the end of all things is at hand. And we're reminded to live in light of the end of all things. We're reminded, specifically here, Peter, as he writes, he's not saying we need to figure out a certain timeline, a specific timeline that he's indicating here, but he is writing in light of the reality of God's redemptive historical plan for all of mankind. And there's different ways to kind of break up of God's redemptive plan of man, but two, one simple way to do that is breaking it up between that of before Christ and after Christ. And we live in this end time where Christ has come, he's died, he's risen again, and that we know that one day he will return and fulfill all of the promises that he has given us in scripture. So we live on this second half where we are in the end times where we wait the return of Jesus Christ. And we live in light of these things and we're called to even just along for the returning of Christ and our life, our life should be that, that we think of and we live in light of these end times that we live in. Now, in the New Testament, it talks about this in different ways by different authors, but one of the phrases you might see in other places that Paul uses is, the Lord is at hand. 
We know that soon the Lord will return. Let me read from Philippians 4, 4 through 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's called to live in light that the Lord is at hand. And even there's a call to prayer. We're going to see a, a call pretty soon to, to call to prayer as well uh, by Peter in these passages. But we're called to live in light of the brevity of life, even to make the most of these days. Last week we saw in, in verse 3 in this chapter, if you just look over to that real quick, I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible, the translation where it says, For there are... For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. So he's, remember last week he said, hey, it, it, your, your time apart from Christ living that way, it's, it's enough. It's sufficient. It's full. You, you don't need to go there anymore. And let, now we're to live in light of Christ and in light of his return as well. So there's a call to, to live this way. So how do we live? How are we to live? We, we might think that Peter would, would probably call for some extreme living, some radical type of commitment here, but um, we see something different. We might think that, as he says, live in light of the end, he might say, well, build, build a bunker. Is that what he said? Build a bunker and have a bunch of food. Or does he say, interpret everything that's in the news so that you can figure out the end? No. What does he say? How are we to live in light of the end that's coming? He says that we're really, he calls us to holy living and to love one another. To be about prayer and being about loving and serving one another. Specifically here in the context is with brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's application that we'll see that we live loving and serving those outside of the church as well. And we live in light of this reality of what Christ has done in us. I think at the very beginning of 1 Peter, if you just turn back with me to 1 Peter 1. He even just begins and just writes in light of, if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, we have this new life in him. And he says, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power, but who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this is called this reality that we have this new life in Christ. And remember, we have this salvation that's totally kept in Christ and this inheritance of all eternity. We're to remember these things and live in light of them. And he begins to tell us some things that we should do in the second part of verse 7. And he calls us to be self-controlled in order that we can focus on prayer. He says, be, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled. Be, be sober-minded. Be clear-minded. Be sane-minded. It's really the opposite of that verse 3 that we just re read a little bit ago in, in chapter 4. 
and not following after all the, the passions of this world, not numbing ourselves with the vices of this world, but instead to have be sober-minded, have self-control. Also, is the reality here that we're not supposed to freak out. Also, in the reality that, that there is a brevity of life. But may we instead be those who are self-controlled, sober-minded. Sober -minded. I think one of the ways that we become sober-minded is to go again and again to God's Word, to go back to God's Word, to rest in God's Word and allow it to transform our mind and renew our mind by it. Really, God's word is an anchor and a ballast in our boat of our life. There's so many things in this world, so many ways that we can just intake information that it can be overload. And really, the internet becomes like this black hole of information that can just suck you in. There's this sometimes where I get on Facebook just to message somebody, and I pull it up, and I start scrolling, and I, I, I find myself thinking, why did I get on Facebook? Who was I going to message? I don't even remember. Um, but that's how the internet does. It sucks us in, but we need God's word to be a ballast in our boat, to be the truth that speaks, and may we be still before him in the... The Amplified Bible, uh, maybe uh, some of you are familiar with that. I know we, growing up, we had an Amplified Bible at home. You don't see them as often. Um, it's not a Bible that's just really loud, but it'll take a word and, 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 and it'll interpret a word and kind of expand it. And this is what it said about verse, verse 7 here. It says, therefore, be sound-minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer, staying balanced and focused on the things of God so that your communication will be clear, reasonable, specific, and pleasing to him. I think that's a good, a good way of saying that. I also think maybe Peter here, as he writes, maybe he's thinking about when he was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says, if you remember, as he goes and prays, what does he say to, to Peter, James, and John? What does he say? He says, Watch and pray. This is in Mark 14, verse 38. Jesus says to them, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's a call to watch, be prayerful. May we still our minds before God that we might be renewed in mind. We just need to be silent at times, be self-controlled to be still before the Lord. And I know sometimes there's a temptation just in my life, to, to, to intake as much information as I can. Uh, even on replanting, there's probably like five, now there's like five podcasts on replanting. And, and sometimes there's a temptation to listen to podcasts at times two speed so I can just suck them all in. But I need to be still before the Lord. I need to pray. That's so much more urgent than me listening to 10 podcasts that I might pray. And I think sometimes as in Peter, one of the huge themes in Peter is suffering. And I think the Lord often uses suffering in our life to drive us to prayer. That we might be still before our God. And that he might even do surgery on our heart and our soul. Sometimes he uses suffering for that. That we might be able to be those who are self-controlled and be able to pray. And I think of, really, I think of people who are prayer warriors. Often I think of them as being disciplined people. Because they're disciplined to be still before the Lord. We're called to live this life in light of the brevity of this life, the light of that, it being the end of all time soon to live in this way. Well, another thing that Peter says as we, keep, as we move on, it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So in light, light of 
being in the end times, in light of the brevity of life, we're to love. We're to be a people who love. To love well. Love covers also a multitude of sins in this. So there's this call to love. And this, this love, above all, most importantly, love is that agape love. Uh, it's, it's an earnest love, an intentional love, a deep, fervent love. And it's not the first time that Peter has spoken about love to us in this letter. Then you have 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, when we studied that. He said, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. When we talked about that, we were reminded that it's that unconditional type love that God has showed us that we're to love others, to earnestly, fervently, intensely, intentionally love one another. It's not a passive love. It's not a, if I get the opportunity type of love, but it's a seeking out type of love to love other people, seeking out to love them. Well, not with a mixed motive, but just to love them and loving them even when they sin against us. To love them and seek forget to forgive and to love. And we can do that because we look at the love of Jesus Christ who is who has loved us unconditionally. And because Christ has died and rose again, that we can be forgiven, um, and we don't need to earn the love of God, we can love others without anything to prove. We're not trying to earn the love or the approval of God, but because he's loved us, we love others. And we need to be about um, loving and the focus really here, too, in context here, is specifically of those brothers and sisters in Christ. It begins here, but then it continues to go out to the world, and not just in our local body, but for other brothers and sisters in northern Colorado. Or, and we can even extend, and through one of the wonderful things about the Calvary family of churches, we can love other churches and help serve them and connect with them and pray for them really well. And then he says, love covers a multitude of sin. Well, first, I think we know, just to understand this, we, we see the truth that we know that Jesus Christ, as he died for us in our place, that he loved us and he redeemed us and we are forgiven in him. And we're reminded, um, indeed, that he is the one that first loved us. But in our love, our love, we don't love with this, for the purpose of, of atoning for someone's sin. That's not what he's talking about, this covering, but it's that that covers over wrongs. It may have been that Peter was looking at Proverbs 10, verse 12, that says, hate stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. This is kind of the love and the covering that he's talking about. Love covers over all wrongs, yet hate stirs up conflict. One illustration or analogy that I, I read this week was by David, Pastor David Helm that said, love takes the oxygen out of sin, the way a blanket chokes the air from one caught on fire. It's this idea that love takes out that oxygen of sin. It, it puts out the fire. It's kind of like the forest fires that we had last summer. If we could have just covered them up and pull all the oxygen out, it would have put those fires down. And we love in such a way to pull out often the anger and the sin that's there. May we love one another. And love should be a true mark of who we are. We've talked about that. We should be a people marked by love, marked by hope, marked by the gospel. And when love is absent between brothers and sisters in Christ, 
in our fellowship, words and actions often will be misunderstood. We'll be quick to judge one another. We'll assume the worst of one another. Walls go up, grudges are held, but we're called to have love abound. And when we love, when love does abound, we are gracious with one another. We keep short accounts with one another. We speak to one another. We are quick to forgive and, and to ask for forgiveness. And, and unity and love will abound amongst us. And that's really what Jesus has said. His followers will be marked by those who are marked by love and unity together. Think of John 13, 35, where Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love, if you love have love for one another. John 17, 23, Jesus says, He's praying. This is he's praying for the church, and he says, I and them, and you and me, speaking of the Father, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So love. And then here we see an example of how we love. And he talks about hospitality. So how should we live? Well, we're to show, show hospitality to one another. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality. Here this is a tangible way that we can love one another. And clearly showing hospitality is not an easy thing to do because uh, Peter wouldn't have to say, uh, show hospitality without grumbling. So clearly hospitality is something that can cause us to grumble, but it's one of those things that hospitality causes us to be a little bit messy. It causes us to, to be inconvenienced. And again, it's one of those things, that if it wasn't difficult, he wouldn't have had to add without grumbling. <laughs> but we understand that. How does the joke go? Um, a, a house guest and fish are the same. They, after a couple days, they stink, right? Um, we get that. So hospitality, it's a sacrificial type of love. And in Peter's day, in that first century, um, when people traveled from city to, to city and went on journeys, there wasn't a, a Super 8 or a Hyatt. Um, you didn't have Expedia.com or whatever. Uh, but they had little, they may have inns there, but apparently even some of those inns were associated with immorality. So they, if they would go to another place, they would look for the kindness of others to bring them into their home. And there's a call here to be hospitable to other brothers and sisters in Christ. So we need to be about that. Um, we need to be able to, to show love and show kindness and see how we can show hospitality to one another. Now, us uh, being able to, to be and travel a little bit and, and serve overseas on missions, I've been able to see the hospitality of brothers and sisters in Christ to me in different times. And one of those was in Ecuador. And in Ecuador, when I was, it was after I had been... Um, in college, right, thanks, Dad. Um, after college, and I went, and there was one thing that I was able to do was after I'd been there maybe a month or so, I lived in a rural area, and I was able to to go to one of the family's homes, 
And it was a wonderful thing. It was just this small adobe home on the side of a mountain, literally on the side of a mountain, no roads to it, um, to the actual front of the house. But they, they welcomed me in, and they, they killed the, the, the fatted guinea pig for me. And, <laughs> and they allowed me just to be part of their home. And they, got to show me how to, they showed me how to use a, a machete and clear a path. And, and I cut my hand, and they, they helped me. Um, um, clean my hand, and I, I have a tiny scar from it still to remind me of those days. But they, they just welcomed me in, and I, didn't, I could barely communicate with them. They loved on me because we were brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think of another time in Asia where um, we had uh, a brother and sister in Christ who welcomed them, welcomed us into their home just for a meal. But they had a very small home, and we brought all of our, our kids in, and and they didn't even have a table big enough for all of us, so they put up some crates and some boards, uh, just enough to, to get a space. But uh, they welcomed us in, even though it was inconvenience, or they may have felt like, oh, we don't have the, a right-sized table for them, but they welcomed us in. Uh, I think those in our church who, who love and serve in different ways, I think if they're going to be mad at me, but the Papa Witches, they opened their home to their nephew just recently. And I know that was like, oh my goodness, what's that going to look like? But they loved and they served him, and it was a beautiful thing of hospitality. Not easy, but something we can step in and love one another. And there's lots of different ways that we can um, love and what, what ways that we can show hospitality. And one of those, just opening your home for for a meal with someone or a coffee with someone, inviting a neighbor or a coworker into your home to be with, to spend some time with you, taking cookies or a meal to neighbors around you. And I know uh, someone, another person in our congregation that does this well, who lives really close to the church, and I don't want to um, uh, put her on the spot or embarrass her, so I won't name her, but Pinky, she, um, <laughs> she, she really serves her neighbors. Does she, not? she serves them. She knows them. And it's a way of showing, I think, hospitality. Um, if you have kids in the home, uh, opening your home for kids in the neighborhood to be there so that you can speak the gospel and love into their life. Invite either, also others into church. And one of the ways that we grow as a church is really being invitational, inviting, um, being about that. So hospitality. And then another way of loving, we serve one another through the gifts that God has given us. How should we live? Serve one another. Verses 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God, as a good steward of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So here, there's a call to serve one another. And it says that God, God has given us a gift. And this word gift, uh, it really has that idea of grace, a gift of grace that's given to us, that's in it. It's this undeserved benefit that God has given us, this gift. And God has given us a gift. And let me just read from Romans 12. 3 through 8, where Paul talks about the same thing. He says, by, For by the grace given to me, so you recognize that grace had even been given to him as an apostle and a teacher. He said, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we are many members, 
and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us, then, let us use them in prophecy, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our service. It, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here he just talks about these different gifts to use them to serve the body. And if we've, if we've been entrusted, if we, I'm sorry, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ and that he is he has made us his own. He, he gives us a gift to serve. And we become these stewards of God's grace. Where God's given us grace and then we're steward. Where, as we talk about sometimes at the beginning of the year here at Grace or at, at Calvary, we are conduits of God's grace. We're conduits of that through our gifts by using what God has given us to serve one another. So may we do that. May we use it to serve. And he doesn't give us these gifts so that we can make a lot about ourselves or so that we can feel really important or be really useful and feel good about ourselves. It's not so that we can make ourselves non-ignorable, right? Um, but that we can uh, make Jesus non-ignorable as we build one another up and serve one another. And as he gives us these different gifts here, uh, Peter, he breaks it up into kind of two big categories of that of speaking and service. And uh, as you look in the New Testament, uh, there isn't just one comprehensive list, but several different ones. We read one here in Romans, but here it's broken up in these two. And as we see, as we look at these, we see that it's not about us, but about, about God and what he is doing in us, that he enables us to to be used by him. So it begins with uh, the one about speaking. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, the one who speaks the words of God, goes to his word and he, he speaks that, or she speaks as in teaching. Maybe your gift is, is teaching or counseling, or maybe that of a preacher or, or exhortation. And we do that not rooted in ourselves, but go to God's word and speak his words. And even as I I prepare for a sermon. I don't, at the beginning of the week, think about, well, what, do, what does everyone need to hear? Or what are just kind of some of my thoughts of this week? No, I, I go to God's Word and just study it, and that's what I'm going to teach this week. It's about Him and not me. And then there's a category of service, and things include things like hospitality and mercy and giving and service to one another. And again, the origin is not in ourself and our own strength, but what does he say? Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So we rest in God and his strength, and it's with his strength that we serve and are used by God. It has its origin. Our gifts are rooted in God. We rest in him. And I even think of just the truth that at the very beginning of this section here, he says that we're to be about people who are sober-minded so that we can pray. Prayer is uh, evidence that we're resting in the Lord and seeking him, even in our gifting. So we need to serve one another. Um, and part of that, just in application, well, we need to fellowship with one another. And, and I know it's been kind of a long year and, and there's hasn't been as much fellowship and time together, but now that's beginning to change. So we're able to, to be together and not neglect 
that gathering together as we're able to do that now and be able to use our gifts. And I think of, of that exhortation in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 that just calls us to not neglect that meeting together. And may we continue to do that. And as we, we think about how we can serve one another, it's not just serving one another within the context of this building, right? Uh, often we say, not just what is my ministry, but who is my ministry? Who is God calling me to pour into and serve in different ways and use my gifts in different ways to love and serve? And sometimes as we begin serving, sometimes those, those same ways that we serve do fall maybe a little bit outside of our wheelhouse of what we think we are most gifted at. And sometimes that happens. I, I think of a time when I began, when I moved to Kentucky and I started at the church there and and I would, of course, love to begin teaching right away, but that doesn't really work that way. Um, so I began helping in the parking lot, parking cars, and I was part of the Easter cantata that I've told you about. So I got to wear a wonderful robe, and that's out of my, I, don't, I didn't really want it. I just wanted to serve. Um, so sometimes we serve in those kind of ways as well and be willing to, to, to do, uh, just lovingly serve people. I also think of, uh, in Kentucky, the church we went to is a church that a lot of seminary students went to, and a lot of guys that just really were itching to, to teach, and uh, I helped lead a singles Sunday school class, and one of the things that we did was to go to a nursing home um, to be able to, to preach there, and we um, did that once a month, and we rotated with other people, and if the, the young men were willing to step in to to teach there, um, a lot of times they had opportunity, but some of those guys wouldn't. They didn't want to. They didn't want to go to the nursing home and serve. But we're called to, to serve in different ways and little ways. And the Lord kind of shows us sometimes it directs us and makes clear even what our gifts are by serving in small little ways as we go along the way. And and again, I know during this COVID time, we've really a lot of things we had been doing. We kind of slowly just had to shut down, and now we're starting them up again. And and it's exciting to be able to begin things again. And, and as I've been saying recently, spring is coming. Don't you feel it? It's like, um, I'm praying that, that things will continue to, to be freed up and opened up and that we'll be able to, to ser serve more and do different things. One way um, that you can kind of just let us know ways that you'd love to be able to be able to use your gifts and things. In the back, there's a little sign in the back. You, when you on your way out, you can see where it says serve, care, love, and there's a little card there. You can grab one of those cards, and it just has some different ways that you might be able to serve in the church through audiovisual or children's ministry or um, greeting. Maybe you, you love to greet guests as they come in. Or, so there's just different things on there. I encourage you to grab that so we can be praying and thinking um, through how, as we sort of, in a sense, begin again, how we can begin these things again and serve one another. And one final thing just in regard to serving. Also, again, this summer, on uh, June 14th, 15th, and 16th in the morning, we're going to have a kids camp over at the park by BF Kitchen in the park over there. And we're having a team from Texas come and help us. Um, but if you would like to be a part of that, that would be really um, wonderful. So maybe just put that on your calendar um, if you'd love to serve in that way. That's a way to serve, serve our community and our church and our, and our kids here as well. So then finally, we get to verse 11, this last part of verse 11 that says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So just as we get to all of this, as we look at the end of all things, we see the aim of our life is to glorify God. 
The aim of our life is to, to glorify God, to point to, to him and to bring him glory through Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ that we could ever do that. The one who, who is the one who, who has drawn us in, who's forgiven us as we are those, as Jesus died and rose again, he called us to repent and believe and trust in him and find new life in him. And we're able to then through Christ bring God glory. And we know the triune God is worthy and deserving of all glory, and all honor, and all dominion forever and ever. And really, in all reality, all glory and all dominion already belongs to him. But we are called in that. He's a creator. He is a God. He's a source of all things. And he is a source of might and glory and joy and love. And, and he is a source of these things, not us not man, not creation, not wealth, not, not a, a new, not fame that we might seek out or not a, a new um, Tesla, which would be nice, I guess. But um, not even the universe is that which holds dominion and glory. Even though the universe is amazing, I think if the Mars rover and these pictures that are coming back, they're amazing. And everything. Wow, the universe is so big. But I heard, um, I think Piper said, John Piper said one time something like, um, the universe is just like a peanut in the pocket of, of God's pocket. It's, it's in the rally. It's just so small and compared to, to his greatness. Um, and it, when we give him glory, uh, too, we, we do find great joy in our God as we make much about him. It's a lot like if you have a favorite movie or a favorite book or a favorite TV show, you enjoy telling people about it. Like we've been... Uh, we recently watched the series of all uh, on PBS called um, "All Creatures Great and Small," and we've just told lots of people about it because we just loved it, and and we enjoy telling people about it. But how much more is giving glory to God? And we find joy in Him as we glorify Him, and when we show hospitality to one another, and we are able to to give God glory through that, and find joy when we love one another. We're able through that to, to give glory to our God and find great joy in him. When we use our gifts to serve one another, we're able to, to glorify God and find great joy in him. So may we rest in him. And as we look um, at this life, we recognize there's a brevity uh, of our life, but we're reminded to live in light of all eternity. May we be cautious not to, to isolate ourselves and, as well, but be a part of the fellowship with one another and these conduits of God's grace. And be reminded to that first step um, in walking in these things is to trust in Jesus Christ. And I encourage you this morning, if you have yet to, to really turn from yourselves and, and, and trust in him as your Lord and Savior, to do that and rest in him, that you might find the joy of our Lord, and the forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, God, we thank you for this morning, the time to, to come to your word and be reminded. Lord, your word really is a ballast in our life. When there's so many th things that we wrestle through, what is true, what isn't true, but we can know and look in your word and know truth. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to live in light of eternity. Uh, long for the return of Christ and, and in it, uh, we see that we're called just to love, uh, called to be in prayer before you, called to serve one another, open our homes to, to love, and even when it's inconvenient, 
Lord, help us to be that people that are marked by love, that we might point the world to Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.